Welcome to the Better Off Podcast. We're sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. Well, 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 ladies and gentlemen, it's your correction edition of the Better Off Podcast. Told you this was going to happen. I hate to be one of those I told you so people, but can we just be clear that markets don't just go up, they go down. Amazing. All right. Many of you have written in, you're worried, you're anxious. What caused this? There's a few factors that come into this marketplace that we should consider. The catalyst for the selling was last Friday, we had a January jobs report. That jobs report showed that the economy created 200,000 jobs in January. The unemployment rate remained at a 17-year low of 4.1%. However, also in that jobs report, what did we find out? We found out that wages were up by 2.9% from the prior year. That seems like a good thing, Jill. Why is good economic news bad for stocks? Here's why. If you're an investor and you see the the ticker go by and it says wage growth up 2.9% from a year ago, all of a sudden you say to yourself, that seems like pretty quick wage growth. You're right. The quickest pace since the recession. If wages start to rise and we haven't even factored in tax cuts and maybe a little additional spending, maybe we're going to get inflation. Inflation, the general increase in the cost of goods and services. Okay. So inflation's pretty low right now, just under 2%. It's actually below the level that the Fed wants it to be at. But investing is all about expectations. Markets move based on expectations. And if all of a sudden inflation expectations creep up, then so do expectations around what the Federal Reserve would do about inflation. What is the Fed's job? It's monetary policy. It is two big things. They've got to foster economic growth by trying to create policies that would help encourage people to spend responsibly and to create jobs, good jobs, wage growth, but also at the same time. They want to have what's called price stability. They don't want runaway inflation, but they don't want deflation either. They want a sweet spot. And the Fed's target is about 2% inflation at the core level without food and energy. And if all of a sudden inflation starts to poke up, maybe it's 2.5%, maybe it's 3%, the Fed will react by raising short-term interest rates, the Fed funds rate. Okay. So what's the big deal? Fed funds rates really low. I thought they wanted to normalize it. They do. In fact, at the last meeting, they said, we expect three quarter point increases for 2018. I shouldn't say the last meeting, at the December meeting when they put their economic projections out there. Three quarter point increases for 2018. What if we got five quarter point increases, not three? Good news for you savers. Woohoo! Collect a little interest in that account. You're happy. Not good news for borrowers, right? interest rates go up. But what about stocks? What happens to the value of a company when interest rates rise? Well, there's a couple of pieces to think about. Number one, the cost of borrowing for these companies will also rise. So they've been enjoying those rock bottom rates with the rest of us. 
So that's not a good thing. Perhaps more importantly, and maybe you don't see this because you invest in a mutual fund and you don't do this kind of analysis, but when you buy a stock, when any investor buys a stock, what are they making a wager on? They are making a wager on that company's ability to produce earnings in the future. Okay? In the future is the important part of that sentence. If you consider this, if in the future interest rates are really, really low and companies can continue to produce earnings, the alternative of, say, maybe investing in something that's risk-free, like a U.S. government bond, it's not a really good alternative because, gosh, I don't really want to invest in something that's earning paltry interest. But if the expectation of the future interest rates is higher than it is, then the value, the present value of my stock purchase this minute may be smaller, maybe lower. Maybe my stock, if I'm buying a stock at 100, maybe in a rising interest rate environment, those earnings in the future are worth only 98 bucks a share today or 95 bucks a share today. Okay, now I've just given a lot to you. The best way, here's your shorthand, faster than expected interest rates. Not great for stock prices. It can be fine over the long term. But if we are forced to confront rising rates very quickly, that can change the calculus. And we should also note that on January 26th, U.S. stock market indexes reached their all-time highs. It was unbelievable. I mean, really, what we've had an almost nine-year bull market, the second longest bull market on record, the top being the technology boom, right, of the 90s. You come into this period where your stock market has risen dramatically. And by the way, the last, say, 14, 15 months have been really supersized in terms of returns. Then you get this blip, this little blip across the screen, wages, inflation, interest rates, fear, wait, oh my God, what's happening? Guess what? Professional investors are human beings. Human beings create algorithms and create program trading. That means that everybody is subject to the same exact set of circumstances, which is once we've gone up so high, you just need a tiny bit of a trigger, a little spark that will create the flame that melts the market down. And that's what we have been seeing. This, to me, is a wonderful reminder that if you are an investor, you are signing up for this. I would even argue that the two years that we have seen, the beginning of 2016 started with a correction, January 2016. It was a very weird time, but I won't go back into the history. In the two years, the two subsequent years, the S&P 500 has not had a more than 5% drop until this week. Two years without a 5% drop. That's the outlier, guys. That is the strange occurrence because we don't usually have a two-year period of tranquility as stock investors. We have more ups and downs. So the fact that we have had a singeing down period of time most recently, that's par for the course, man. You cannot expect to be an investor and be shielded from the market going down. That is the deal you are making with the investment devil. 
a bull market, a bear market, it doesn't matter. You are signing up for both. You're a long-term investor. You're going to have bull markets. You're going to have bear markets. The last bear market we had, 2008 to 2009. Stocks fell by over half. That was brutal. And I'm not suggesting we're going to have a 50% chopping of the stock market value. But what I am suggesting to you is that this is a market that is ripe for a correction, which we got. It is ripe to be considered maybe for a bear market. I don't know whether that'll happen or not. But if it doesn't happen this time, just know what's going to happen. It is going to happen. This is normal. This is customary. And this is what it means to be an investor. Coming up, I'll tell you what you need to do with your investment portfolio right now. This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Okay, so now you know why the stock market has been dropping. But the bigger question is, should you really care? Do you really need to understand what is behind every up or down jig jag of the stock market? Or is it more important to understand what your personal long-term game plan is? If you need help developing that plan, check out our sponsor, Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. One of the great aspects of Betterment is that they can provide personalized advice for your financial planning needs. It's not based on whether the stock market is up or down. It's based on the information that you provide them. And then Betterment makes tailored recommendations on decisions like how much to invest or how much risk to take on in your portfolio and the type of investment account you should have. They give you a clear view of your net worth when you sync your outside accounts like bank accounts and other investments. Betterment shows you how much your outside brokerage accounts are costing you in fees and uninvested cash. If you want to check out Betterment, just go to Betterment.com slash betteroff. Betterment, rethink what your money can do. Okay, now you got it, right? You know what the cause of the sell-off has been. You know that we're in this nasty, volatile period of time. Hopefully you're not freaking out, but you do want to know what you need to do next. All right? I know. I know. I'll ask Jill. The answer for most of you, because you're long-term investors, here's what you should do. A whole lot of nothing. I know that when you hear about these big losses, it's hard to not to feel those butterflies. It's hard not to feel anxiety when you see 1,175 points in one session. By the way, it was down as much as 1,600 at one point. But that's the most interesting factoid that I take out of this, which is everybody will flood us with emails and and calls. What do I do? What do I do? And it's so easy to be able to say, why should you do anything? You should stick to your game plan. You've got a diversified portfolio. You know the beauty of a diversified portfolio? It's not that you're going to make tons more money. It will hopefully prevent you from doing something dumb. What is that dumb thing? That dumb thing might be trying to figure out when to get in and out of the market. Because what do we know historically over the long term? Market timing, it's really hard. It's really hard because you've got to make two precise 
decisions. One, when to get out. Two, when to get back in. So even if you were really smart, even if on the Thursday night on February 1st, you said, oh, it's Groundhog's Day. I think I'll sell all my stocks. And you've missed this downturn. I'm not sure you'll know when you should get back in. Because I don't know when to get back in. We only know in hindsight when would have been the right time to get back in. But I know that emotionally we are programmed to have this really terrible feeling that I should do something. Try to keep that feeling at bay. Feel your feelings, as the shrinks all say, but it doesn't mean you need to act on them. So what I would say is this. If you need to put a sticky note next to your computer or have something pop up to you to remind you, do not let my emotions dictate my actions. Adhere to my diversified portfolio. So stay on plan. You know you're on plan because you base that plan on your goals, your specific goals, your risk tolerance, your time horizon. That's why you call here and you ask us our advice. You hear us talk to you. If you're really freaked out about the movement in your portfolio over the last week or so, maybe you came into this period with too much risk. Maybe you thought you were able to handle the risk. This is like a very common thread among investors, which is during a bull market, you're really bold. But then the market drops. You're like, ah, I'm scared. Well, maybe you actually have a lower risk tolerance than you imagined. If you need to reshuffle your risk tolerance and really reflect what you're feeling, then what you have to do is make a pinky swear with yourself and say, when the market goes back up, I am not going to jump back in and change my risk tolerance again. You know, as always, you hear us talk about this all the time on this program. If you need money within the next year, you know you've got to write a tuition check. You know you're going to have to put a down payment on a house. You know you're going to buy a car. You need money. You have a surgery and you're going to have to access that money. Then it should not be at risk. It should not be at risk. Short-term money that you know you're going to need should not be at risk. Be smart. Stay with your plan. Take a deep breath. And do not do anything. Do not mess with your game plan. It will see you through this and any other times that come in the future. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. Okay, it's time for that part of the program where you get to tell us what's going on in your financial life and maybe we can help you out. If you've got a financial question and you would like to be the listener question of the week or the better off bonus call of the week, then you can just shoot us an email. Very easy. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. Right now, we've got Eric. He's on the line. He's just outside of Detroit. Hi, Eric. Welcome to Better Off. What can I do for you? Hi, Jill. I have a question for you about uh, tax strategy in retirement. Okay. I'm about 10 years, hopefully, from retirement. I'm 52 now, hoping to retire at 62. My wife and I are both ministers, and we'll both have a pension. Wow. But we are also saving... I know, there's no more pensions. <laughs> I know. We still have them, thank heavens. Um, we also are saving with uh, 403Bs, 
and Roth IRAs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I inherited a little money uh, from my dad that's just in a brokerage account. Okay. So my question is, we have quite a bit more in our 403Bs than we do in our Roth IRAs. And as I was thinking about how everything gets taxed, you know, there's income tax on the pension, there'll be tax on the uh, 403B, whatever we take out of it, um, and then capital gains on the brokerage account. I'm wondering if I should be increasing the Roth IRA even at the expense of the 403B. We're not maxing out either one. We're saving what we can. But How much is in the 403Bs? How much is in pre-tax right now? We have combined uh, 320000 Fantastic. And what about your IRAs? 51. Okay. And the brokerage account, the inheritance account? About 300000 Okay. Tell me about the pensions. So in 10 years, you both retire. Mm-hmm. Uh, what will the pension amount be? Right now, our combined income is about 130000 Okay. When I did the calculation with our pension... Uh, plan, it looks like uh, in 10 years, our pension income would be around 110000 And would you say that 110000 is enough to support your life, considering that you are making one thirty right now? It sounds like that would be a good number for you, no? I think so, yeah. Okay. I think we'd like to be able to do a little traveling, et cetera, but certainly the pension would cover our our basic living expenses. Will you also be entitled to Social Security or not? Yes, we will, assuming it's still there. It's going to be there. Quit your gripe in there, mister. <laughs> don't, and don't waste any of your access to God on praying for Social Security because it's going <laughs> to be there, okay? Uh, so the Social Security, um, given your combined income, do you, do you have, a, have you ever gone on the Social Security website, ssa.gov, to find out what your benefit will be? It looked like it was around, I don't know, 20 thousand or something. That's what I would think. The amazing thing that 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 just brings up is that probably your pension plus your social security will equal your total income right now, just about. Right. Um, And so that's great. And you're right. It's all taxable, but so is your income. So you're living on this now. Mm -hmm. So the good news for me is that you're not coming in and saying, I've got boatloads of debt. I haven't been able to float my lifestyle, blah, blah, blah. You know, all of that aside, it sounds like you've lived a very responsible life and that the money in the 403Bs, the Roth IRAs, and the inheritance, that will cover your slush fund needs, your travel, your fun. A big expense comes up for every so often. Maybe it's a new car. Maybe it's a big trip. So big picture first, and that is you're in great shape. It's fantastic. It's great. The idea of putting more money into a Roth is actually interesting. So I think what would be kind of cool would be to beef up that Roth contribution a little bit. I presume that, you know, you're not in a huge tax bracket. You're probably doing just fine tax-wise. Do you own a home? We do, and we still owe a mortgage. We bought a home later in life. We usually usually lived in church-owned housing. Um, So we owe about $194,000 on a home that's probably worth about 300000 Okay, but totally reasonable. And then, you know, and what's the rate on that mortgage? It's like 3.4. All right, so we don't need to pay that down anytime soon. I like the game plan that you've laid out for me. I would shift more of your money into the Roth IRA. You know, the funny thing is a lot of people will say like, well, I want to put in money pre-tax now because my tax bracket will go down later. Your tax bracket's not going to go down later. You're right. going to have income. 
This and, is what occurred to me yeah. as I was listening to other callers in your show and speakers. I was like, I, wait a second. We, I think we got the reverse problem. You do. And and so in that, that argues actually to start putting more money in the Roth. So what I would do is I would max out your Roth, which is $6,500 each this year because you're over the age of 50. And, you know, whatever else you can afford, certainly you can put into your 403B, but I would definitely max out my Roth. And I like the idea that at the time that you uh, will retire, you'll have that inheritance money. So you can live on that. You don't want to claim Social Security at age 62. What you want to do is you want to wait. So you have money that's already been taxed. You use that investment account, that general investment account, the inheritance, to float your whatever your needs are. Then... You keep you, you can defer that Social Security as long as you can. At some point, you'll claim it. You know, the you maybe at age. Do you have advice about how long to defer? Just as long as you. How can, healthy are or? you? When okay. are you going to die? Let me tell you. If you tell me when you're going to die, I can help you. All right. So here's we, the thing. We don't get that information. You don't. Right. I wait a minute. You're a minister, don't you? Don't have a line on that. All right. We're in sales, not right. me. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So here's what I would say. You always will wait until your full retirement age, which I bet for you guys is 66 or 7. Probably 67. Okay. So you wait till 67. That's when you can get your your best, you know, sort of like all the options on Social Security. Kind of everything is best at age 67. Presuming that you're both healthy and you've got decent longevity in your family's good gene pool, if you can wait it's best to wait until you're age 70. That's when you maximize your Social Security benefit. Okay. Most people can't afford to do that. Most people uh, don't have 300 grand already 10 years from retirement that they can live on. Mm-hmm. So they're not in a situation where they can wait. But if you can wait, you're essentially getting an extra 8% guaranteed a year. And so I think it is worth waiting for you if possible. And also, you know, who knows? You're going to you say you're going to retire when you're 62, but you may do a little something here and there. You might pick right. up some income. And, and so all those things argue for you to wait. Um, do you have kids? We have two kids, one in college, one in high school. Do we have to pay for more stuff for these kids coming up, like college, another college education? Where are we? So the really nice thing, um, my dad was a physician, and in addition to the inheritance that he gave us he also provided for education for the kids i love your father so it looks i know me too oh he was God. a great kid but uh, it looks like um they will be fine okay. through college great so i mean look i think that this is a really good scenario um the one cautionary tale that i would just say is that you've got plenty of money everything's going to be great no need to take big risk i don't know how you're investing your money but i would mm-hmm. say that you are exactly the type of people who should not be taking a ton of risk because there's absolutely no need for you to take on risk. 43B is in a fidelity account through our uh, church uh, pension group, and they had recommended to me one of the target date funds, yep. which is pretty heavy into equities. Yeah, it's funny. Those target date funds are much riskier than most people realize, so you were smart yeah. to click through. But you can create your own target date fund, can't you? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can yeah. do one of two things. One is you can pick a target date fund that is closer, meaning that you could say instead of the um, 2030 fund, you could pick the 2020 fund. Okay. The other thing you can do is you can actually say, eh, you know what? I got 300 grand. Let's make my life simple. Let me create uh, essentially a 50-50 portfolio. Say 10% in some cash, just in case, God forbid, Mm -hmm. 5% cash, some money in bonds, 
make that up to 50%. The cash plus the bonds is 50%, and the rest in a couple of stock index funds. So an extended market index, perhaps an international stock index. And if you wanted to throw even like a little, like a 5% commodities position in there, that would be fine too. That's it. Go to sleep at night and don't worry about it. Or you can do the target date fund. But I think that, you know, as you notice, they often have more risk than you would imagine. Because the thing is that they're doing is, They are not investing to a retirement date. They are trying to invest through your retirement. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right. So they're saying, but you've got a lot of other money to do that and you don't need to take on a lot of risk. You just don't. I would be, if I were you, I'd be a very boring, balanced investor. That's what I would be. (laughs) And and boring is good. Boring, I say that with great love because I too am a very boring, balanced investor. That sounds wonderful. All right. Well, listen, Eric, I wish you the best of luck. And uh, enjoy your next 10 years. And maybe you even remember the longer you work, the better everything looks. So if you still enjoy your work, keep doing it, okay? Thanks. Love your show. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Take care. Thanks for calling. All right. So that's it. That's the program. Thanks so much to our caller, Eric. And thanks to all of you. Mark says you are shooting us tons and tons of emails. Keep it coming. We're going to start dropping extra episodes where we just do emails. Um, If you've got a question, I know this is a very hard time for a lot of you. Just let us know how we can help you out. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. And you can hop onto our website, jillonmoney.com, read all the stuff that we've been writing and posting over the last week or so. Don't forget, we drop new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. You can subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your stuff. Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud. Just go get it. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. We're distributed by Cadence 13. The executive producer is Mark Talercio, and we are sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. Keep breathing, and we'll talk to you next week.